So while, while okay, so yeah, so now we're catching up. We're talking about cognitive distortions for the podcast here, but we're 10 minutes, in, 15 minutes into 30 minutes. So three and four, I read right ahead a little bit. They yeah. seem to be the same thing to me, yeah. honestly. Yeah, they can be. I mean, I'm not, uh, I think you could, you, could, you could group them together. Uh, one, one, is, one is filtering out the positive and the other is just discounting it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, which is a filter in a different way, right? Just and, a little bit right. of a broader filter. And so you'll see some of these blend together. There's even one I would just say, ah, we can even skip over that one. My thinking is there's probably maybe eight basic ones. Uh, he happens to split it out into ten. Discounting the positive, you reject, you reject positive experiences by insisting they don't count. If you do a good job, you may tell yourself it wasn't good enough, or anyone could have done as well. Here's the thing I like about this description right here, this last sentence, because I found it to be so true. Discounting the positive takes the joy out of life and makes you feel inadequate and unrewarded. I will almost guarantee you, if you or somebody you know is like that on an ongoing basis, they are doing number four chronically, discounting the positive. I had a woman, uh, she was a graduate student, this is years ago. She was a graduate student. She came in as a client I was working with. And um, I remember one day she came in, it was at the end of the semester, she got in her grades, and I'd asked her, about, oh, how'd your grades go? And she said, well, I made all A's, kind of like that. I'm like, wow, it's your second semester of graduate school in a master's program, and you made all A's. That's pretty cool. She said, yeah, but I had the easy professors this semester. So I don't know where I got this idea, but I said, uh, we'll call her, I don't know, Sheila or something. Um, so Sheila, tell me, about, you know, you went, I was thinking about what you told me where you went to high school. How, how many people were in your, your senior class? She's going, what? Just, how many people were in your senior class at the beginning of your senior year of high school? Oh, I don't know, 500? It's huge. Maybe make it a hundred if you want. Let's make let's more managed. Say it's a hundred. Well, how many of those people graduate at the end of the year? Well, not all of them. There was this guy and that one. There was you know ninety out of the hundred actually graduate. How many of those people wanted to go to college? Oh, I don't know. How many do you think she gave me a number? How many of those people actually got accepted and went? How many of those people finished their freshman year? How many of those people finished their bachelor's degree? How many of those people wanted to and were able to go to grad school? How many, and she got the idea about this point. How many of those people, she's in the upper 2% of everyone she went to high school with in terms of academic success. But she discounted it all along the way, even to the point of making straight A's in graduate school, immediately without having to think about it, came up with this mental filter, yeah, but I had the easy professors. You're a straight-A student in graduate school. You're top of your class any way you cut it. But it was so automatic for her, and she, she got that, but it was so ingrained in her. Why and where? You want to guess where it came from? How she grew up. Messages, examples she got. Yeah, I know that's the psychologist thing to say, but it's true in this case. And so we did a lot of work talking about where did she learn those kinds of cognitive distortions? Where did they come from? 
one of the best things I think you can do as a couple, not everybody's a couple, but in rela relationships of any kind, if you understand the cognitive distortions and find out where did they start, when did they start, and why, you develop that kind of insight, you will develop empathy for the other person. Unless you're one of those people who really has a hard time having empathy for much of anything, which can happen. All right, so that's number four. Let's keep going. Can be, yeah, yeah, can happen, and and that's we'd say it's diagnostic. You know that there's what else is going on. That's why that this is why sometimes you need to work with a therapist because you can't. It's very difficult for most people to sort all this out on their own. Why? Because the very things that they used to sort it out is what is just a little. And it doesn't again doesn't mean you're crazy. It doesn't mean you're psychotic. It means you're a normal human being. And things are messy. Our thoughts are messy. But if you get someone who can help you sort it out, someone who's objective and safe for you to be with and talk about these things with, it really can be hugely helpful. So number five, this is actually two different types. This type of distortion is you, you interpret things negatively when there's really no facts to support your conclusion. One is mind reading. Without checking it out, you arbitrarily conclude that someone is reacting negatively to you. Fortune telling, you predict that things will turn out badly. Uh, I used this example for a while, um, and it's not a personal one. It, it, I guess it could have been, but I don't, I don't, it's not a personal one. But uh, a man has um, been at work all week and he's been coming home late, later than his, uh, than his wife expected him to. And so he really tries to get home on time, and of course there's a wreck on the interstate or whatever. Anyway, so he can see that he's going to be late again. And so he's thinking ahead about his wife's reaction. You can turn this around. It could happen the other way, right? Sure. So he's thinking about his spouse's reaction once he gets home. He's envisioning that she's going to be mad at him and say, you know, they're going to have a fight. It's going to be unpleasant. It's been a long day anyway. And so he, so he gets home. This is what's been going through his mind. He's been fortune-telling. He comes in the door, walks in, she comes around the corner, he goes, I don't want to hear it. I'm late, I'm late. You know, I can't control everything, blah, 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 blah. Now, in this particular case, she'd just come in. Maybe because she was stuck in the same traffic, or maybe she wasn't about to get on him about anything. But because he was fortune-telling, he created a conflict when it didn't have to happen. But why do we do this fortune-telling? To protect ourselves. Because we have anxiety about what might happen. We try to prevent it or defend ourselves. It's a natural reaction for some of us. But if you don't understand what's going on, you're going to unnecessarily have some of these conflicts. Um, fortune telling, mind reading, same kind of thing. Anybody have an example of that? Amy. somebody says something and then you decide that this is what they mean when they say that right that that was extremely helpful for us yeah if, you, if, if your assumption of what they meant when they said that right it's and just and if you can say wait a minute you're assuming this that's not at all what I'm thinking yeah it's and this part assigning me, uh, uh, this is not going to show it's that without checking it out but we for whatever reason, we often don't check it out. 
had this really happen with my, uh, my wife and I uh, back oh, a number of years ago. It was no big deal, but it's a good little example. I was working, I think I was trying to re household repair of some sort. And I was in one room, she was in an adjacent room. And she asked me some question from the other room. And because I was, yeah, I was frustrated, I guess, with what was, is probably plumbing or something. <laughs> you know, and, and so uh, I responded to it. I was unaware that there was sort of a tone to my response. And she thought, huh, I wonder if there was, tone, was he snapping at me? Well, I wasn't. It was about what was going on. She couldn't see that I was involved in that, but she heard. But to her credit, she came in the room and said, hey, was there, our wave just said, we just said, was there tone in that? And I go, what? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I had nothing, it's this. Look at this. It's this thing, and you know, there's water shooting up here. It's, you know, it's this. It's that, and she goes, okay. So she checked it out. So that's a good little example. Check it out. Find out, but you got to be able to communicate with you. If you hold it in, go. Oh, then the, that mind reading becomes reality to you. That becomes what you're sure, you're convinced is going on. So again, this isn't rocket science. It's not. It's just. It happens. It's insidious, and it will become the way that we think automatically. Yes, sir. Can I ask you if you're in a relationship, one's a mind reader, one's a fortune teller. What happens there? You go to therapy. Okay. <laughs> no, you do this. Okay. You, you start learning about it. You start talking about it. You say, I'm fine. Because if I know, just you, you two, it, now I don't know them from about what's going on. I'm making this up. But if you know that he tends to say mind read or vice versa, then you take that into account and you say, hey, so this, this gives you a platform. It gives you a vocabulary, a framework to check these things out. It's, it's one of the big values in this. All right, so let's go on. Magnification, we're going to skip over that. That's the one, I think it's kind of self-evident. We magnify some things, we shrink other things down. Look at emotional reasoning. You assume that your negative emotions necessarily reflect the way things really are. I feel terrified about going airplanes. It must be very dangerous. I feel guilty. I must be a rotten person. I feel angry. This proves I'm being treated unfairly, and so forth. Feeling it doesn't make it so. You need to check out the emotions. Where are they coming from? What are your thoughts about that? What are the realities? Check things out. But it doesn't make it so. I always think about, I'm not sure if this is a good example or not. Let me throw it out there. Uh, the Sound of Music, everybody knows that. There's a song toward the end where Maria is saying, I must, you know, she's feeling great, therefore I must have done something good. Huh? I feel it, therefore it must be true. Kind of thing. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Check it out. So, but this, is, this kind of stuff is pervasive. And frankly, in our music, oh my goodness, the cognitive distortions that are in the music that we listen to, Try that on for size. Go through your Spotify list or whatever and listen for, you know, without you, I'm worth nothing. What? Whoa, wait, 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 wait. No, that's not healthy or helpful. When? So I think I do that, like the emotional thing. Sure. Uh, sometimes uh, if George doesn't 
um, value something I apparently value. <laughs> I think, oh, he doesn't care about me enough. Right. And it's not because he doesn't, it's because he, I value um, him knowing something that, that I think is something I value, but he may not value it. doesn't right. mean he doesn't love me. But I emotionally go there. Um, and I think, you know, I think through it, you go, well, that's crazy, but it, you still feel those feelings a little. Um, even down to ridiculous things like um, we're going to meet at a restaurant, and I know we've been there 20 times, and he goes, he, does, he gets lost. And I go, look, we've been here a lot of times, spent a lot of times here together. How can you not remember how to get there? That means you really don't value it. Well, that's ridiculous. But um, I, I think he, or, he may or may not value it, but, for, but without <laughs> checking it out. Right, right, right. You know what I'm saying? I yeah. I just go places emotionally with a ridiculous scenario that it's just something yeah. that I, I know, I think. But that's something, I'm, it might be common for some other people. So remember, those, these cognitive distortions, the ones that are close to the surface and tend to happen so automatically, are ones that have a history. More often than not, there's a history there. And that's not often easy to talk about or think about or go back. But if you can start doing something, if you can have the courage to do that, once you start understanding that, you can share that with other people in your lives as appropriate. And they can have a better understanding of it. And then it's like, okay, I get that reaction. I know what that's about. Um, there were not too many. This is, this is really just a mild example. There, there were a few times earlier in our marriage where I remember something happened. We'd go, between me and my wife, I'd go, uh, I said something to the effect, you know I'm not your father, right? Kind of thing. Now, I didn't say it quite like that. <laughs> or maybe I did and got in trouble. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I, but she wasn't aware. And, and by the way, I got the better end of the deal of being married to my wife. Let's just say that for the fact that, Amy. I was thinking at first, I don't do that at all. And then when Wendy said that, I realized it happened this morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, you know, my, I, I immediately feel like he does not care for me. How can he forget to do that if he really was care, if he really cared for me? Which is a ridiculous thought when you say it out loud. And he may have to be reminded of that, you know, a hundred times. I don't know. Or I might have to be reminded of a hundred times. But, but, but this is a great example. Just, it doesn't mean what you feel like it means necessarily. And who's responsible for how you feel and what you think we are, I think, aren't we? I mean, don't we have to be? Okay, so the next one, should statements. Uh, you tell yourself that things should, just eliminate shoulds, pretty much. Keep, keep about 10% of the shoulds that you use uh, and filter all the rest of them out. Should, you, you tell yourself things should be the way you hoped or expected them to be, the way you anticipated uh, it, so your hope, get this, our hopes and what we anticipate, what we predict, turn into all too easily what we believe should happen, supposed to happen, is just to happen, that we deserve to happen. 
there's a huge difference, right? Um, shoulds, oughts, must, musts, have tos, these are particularly insidious. Watch for them in your, your silent vocabulary, your self-talk, your beliefs. That's one way that you can catch yourself on a lot of these. Um, so I, I went through a period of just trying, no, I'm not going to say should. It, so I substitute something like ideally I would have remembered what's that? It was Valentine's Day, you know, yeah. Or ideally I wouldn't have forgotten to pay that bill. Or, but if I keep sort of beating myself up about it, and don't cut myself a little bit of slack here. So change it to, ideally, it would have been best if, uh, yeah, that would have been great if I had done this. Just, just become aware and start changing the vocabulary. You can do a lot of improvement and, and you can share it with other people, you know, and it can really change things quite a bit. So, should statements, oughts, must, have tos, should statements that are directed against yourself get this, lead to guilt, feelings, and frustration. Should statements that are directed against, let's see if I can get this, this is not cooperating. I read a book by Hannah Whittall Smith called The Christian Secret of a Happy Life. Uh -huh. and she tells that story about this lady coming up and saying I should or should and she said uh, this lady said honey it's those shoulds and if onlys that are making you miserable yeah and it's really that's helped me a lot watch for it this is this is it's simple it's not easy to do and change instantly <laughs> client made a joke one time Oh, I should have stopped using shoulds. <laughs> I'm like, that's funny. Yeah, it was kind of funny. So, um, so. But there's one other little thing that mm -hmm. I read in another place that also said it's a little different circumstances, but if you say I should pay the bill, that really means you should pay the bill. <laughs> so I guess yeah. you don't have to always eliminate it, but if you keep saying I should. Do this. Well, think about it. Maybe you should. Really. I yeah. should send my wife some flowers. Yeah. Maybe you should. It 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 would it would be good, and I hope it. But but those shoulds. Here's where I'm going with this. Our shoulds. Are we. I mean, we're already out of time. How can that be? Um. We take shoulds and oughts and musts, like there's some sort of set of stringent rule, and sometimes there are, but oftentimes not. And we turn that into, let me fast forward. Basically, we turn what we hope or expect into shoulds and musts and oughts. We turn it into an injustice when it doesn't happen. And when we perceive that there's an injustice, that he does something that breaks my rules of some sort, then we get angry. Or if I see somebody bullying somebody else, that's an injustice. I'm going to get angry about that. But it also works internally. If I don't do something that I feel like I should, finger wagging, you know, then that's an injustice that I'm guilty of. And we turn it inward and it turns into 
uh, guilt and frustration. If we turn it toward others, it's anger and frustration. The other ones, you can, we don't, we're out of time, but labeling, take a look at that. Labels really generally are not helpful. Personalization and blame. Rate yourself on these. Uh, so, so we're out of time. Um, thanks for participating. This, this will all start blending together in some of the other topics. Uh, thanks for coming. I'll hang around for a minute if you have any questions about this. Have a good rest of the day.